This podcast is brought to you by Modest Coffee, single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what coffees they're roasting today. Cheers! Hello, welcome to No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee warehouse podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We are, took a field trip today to work, to record. <laughs> Woohoo! The audio may be a little bit different than what you're normally used to, because this place ha- has no soft surfaces. I mean, I guess there's boxes, some bags of coffee. Bags of coffee beans. Yeah, some green coffee all over the place. Yeah, you might notice that it's quiet here. <laughs> no I guess barking dogs. There is no dog barking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is a podcast where uh, we learn about economics history uh harvard (laughs) sex offenders (laughs) capitalists Uh, colonialists kind of all of it all of the evil people in the world yeah Yeah, somehow they all tie back to coffee (laughs) (laughs) oh oh basically what we do is we decide on a coffee that we're going to try we are going to commit to giving it no bad reviews and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to learn whatever we can about it. So we never know where this podcast is going to take us when we, we just start. call it A History of Exploitation. It's more upbeat than that, though. Yeah. That sounds kind of depressing. Yeah. yeah. And No Bad Reviews, A History of Exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, so we're here. I'm Jenny. I run the operations at a coffee company called Modest Coffee. And that's where we're recording today, is at Modest Coffee. That's also our mailing address. If you want to send us a letter, we take letters. It's really fun. <laughs> Please send us a letter. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Marcus, the semi-professional roaster and co cohabiter um, with Jenny. <laughs> and Steph, remember, she's in. <laughs> and Steph, are we a thruple? <laughs> we are not a thruple. I just want to make it clear to our listening audience. <laughs> Not that I don't love you guys so much. Right. Right. So much. You just don't love us that way. I just, That's okay. I feel. You know what? That'd make things no. weird around the workplace. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd still have to work here as part of the thruple. Yeah. I just assumed I'd be sitting at home eating badmans or whatever since both of you work. We're no? a platonic threesome. Oh. That's not how this works, Steph. Hmm. I'm only joining a thruple. If I get to quit my job. Not that I don't love my job. Yeah. My name is Stephanie, <laughs> and I'm the employee of the month at Modest Coffee, where we're located right now. We're here. We're here. Yeah. It was All a right. long-ass introduction. And it was a hot mess. Fucking <laughs> I'll clean it up. It's been so long since we recorded last because we're off schedule right now. If you want to support our podcast, we have a Patreon. You get extra bonus episodes once a week. You get a little extra of us. Just chit-chatting, trying coffee, telling you what we think of it. Sometimes it's a coffee-related product. Sometimes it's not coffee-related at all. We just try things on our Patreon, and we let you know about them. Sometimes we give you the truth, the honest truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. bad reviews there. Yeah. But they're nice bad reviews. Are they? Well, okay. They're fun bad reviews. Okay. Yeah. There's recipes, delicious recipes. Mm. So that's all on Patreon. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash nobadreviewspod. And lastly, you can buy merch. It's now getting chillier out. Make sure you get yourself a No Bad Reviews sweatshirt or a pair of sweatpants. That's what I'm wearing today. Yep. 
No, those things they are uh, they really keep the heat in. They're great. <laughs> They're great for this time of year. It's true. I biked here in forty degree weather this morning and I was only a little bit cold. There you go. Science. It works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was an electric bike. If you'd been pedaling. I probably would have been warmer. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the money stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow us on social media and No Bad Reviews Pod. I think that's all I've got as far as the business. I had a clarification, and then I decided it was a whole other episode. So I'm saving it. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Maybe nice. a Thanksgiving episode. Well, that's that's fun. what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. so. fun. Do you have any clarifications, Marcus? <sighs> you know, I don't remember things generally day to day so no everything's perfect (laughs) great yeah all right well i guess we're ready to get started on this episode huh yeah tell us about today's coffee it's like it's potentially a good coffee okay thinking about our episodes everything seems to like trace back to like some large corporation you know and Mm -hmm. i was thinking we need to get some more smaller ones in Mm -hmm. now this one's not exactly smaller this one is actually reminded me a lot of the of copper cow um, is it like Harvard educated or? Yep, Princeton? all of those things. Nice. Yeah, so you cool. know it kind of has the same vein. Maybe in the future we can get some more smaller coffee roasters in here. I think that's that would be, That'd be nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to have mm-hmm. somebody that started in their kitchen on a popcorn popper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where would we find one of those? Mm-hmm. But it's not about me. It's not. Talk to me about Miss Harvard. So yeah, so this <laughs> is like this is Kahawa. 1893. The woman who started it, her name is Margaret, and now I'm going to try this last name. Niamumbo? Niamumbo? Niamumbo. Yeah, okay, you guys got it better than I do. It's fun to say. Niamumbo. Niamumbo? Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. She's from Kenya. Um, She grew up third generation on a coffee farm. Her grandfather started the coffee farm. I don't know which parent, but one of her parents inherited it. And then she grew up on this farm, running around on the mountainside, like through the coffee trees, like taking little nibbles of the cherries as they were growing. (laughs) So like if you can picture what it would be like to grow up in idyllic Kenyan mountainside, I am just picturing like... Uh, like the sound of music, but in Africa, you know, like just these cool mountains and beautiful, beautiful little like birds. Yeah, all of it. And just quiet. Sounds really nice. Hmm. So that's how she grew up. It's funny. Like I tried to find out more about her history and she does not really talk a ton about growing up. She doesn't talk a ton about her family, which I wanted to know more about. Yeah. From what I gather, her parents encouraged her and her siblings to take a more stable path. I'm assuming that they had the resources to encourage their kids to go study abroad. Because normally, if you're not doing so well, you would not be like, you have to go study abroad. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 um, yeah. How many kids were there? Do you know? I didn't know. She just said her and her siblings. But so, as we know from all of the research that we've done, generational coffee you know, businesses tend to do better mm-hmm. than yep. new ones. So, yeah. So, she was at, her and her siblings were encouraged to study abroad, go get degrees, go get stable jobs. So, that's what she started out doing. She went to Smith College in Massachusetts. I don't know anything about it, but it's in Massachusetts. And I and think it's called Smith. It sounds pretty fancy it's to gotta me. It's got to be good. Everything, sounds, everything here is adding up to being a pretty nice university. I'm sure of it. Sure. Um, The tuition is actually more than Harvard (laughs) for undergrad. $58,000. That's not including room and board. All in all, per year, you're going to spend yourself $81,000 per year to go to Smith College. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I guess her and her siblings were also educated in Kenya, like with a 
fancier education in Kenya, and then they were able to get into these nice universities abroad. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah. Good to be on top. A successful coffee farm. Right. Yes. Very, seemingly very successful, although she does not talk about the level of success. She did say her parents are now retired. They do help out with the business. I think they help out with the local farmers. I guess she works with a farm that's like right down the street from her parents' farm, like a neighbor. And her parents do help with um, some of the Kenya side of the business. So the farm did not stay in the family. She didn't really say. It's interesting that she has a coffee business where she imports coffee from Kenya, but not from her own family's farm. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe she does. She could find very little information about her business side of things. Now, this is what I know about getting coffee out of Kenya. Yeah. Is that there's a ton of fucking middlemen. She said that was the hardest part about learning the coffee business outside of the farming, learning the importing, and getting importing squared away. She said that was the most complicated piece. Right. She didn't go into detail, so I don't know why. She's just, it felt almost like she's kind of cagey about it. I don't know. What if her family's just one of the middlemen? Could be. She just was very and like they big. just had Maybe a she small wants- farm for themselves. I don't know. Hmm. She did say that she had a business mentor who'd been in the business for 20 years who helped her get her business together, helped her figure out how to do packaging and how to do this and how to do that. Can I just say this is why transparency matters, right? Because then we don't have to wonder. Right. right. She worked on Wall Street for like a year. So she said that she used some of her connections at Wall Street and some of her experience at Wall Street for starting up Kahawa. But yeah, not a whole lot about her starting the business. Not a whole lot about her family. There's some things that I just wonder maybe about. Well, she could just like privacy too. She could just yeah, like privacy. that's true. Yeah. I wish I had, I knew more. Um, in one of the interviews, it sounds like they do some coffee roasting on site at where she is now. I think she started out like with a co-packer or a toll roasting situation. But in one of the interviews I was listening to, I think it was from like a year ago, there was like the sound of beans dumping into a hopper. And the guy was like, did somebody just are you guys roasting over there right now? (laughs) And she said, yes. So maybe like they're roasting on site now. So anyways, her whole thing is she grew up in Kenya. She knows that Kenyan coffee is some of the best coffee of the world, worldwide. She says this goes back to the specific variety of coffee. It's SL28 is the main one. And SL28 grown in Kenya with the Kenyan soil, the Kenyan climate, produces a really unique flavored coffee. You can definitely tell it has a very distinctive flavor. Kenyans, yeah, very tomato-y. Yeah, there's always like a little bit of a hint of tomato to really? it. Really? Yeah, it's huh. kind of strange. She also compared it to wine, like a like a rich, dark wine, red wine. Mm. Would you? I yeah, would, I I would consider that, that to be true. Winey, syrupy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did she talk about SL35? She only talked about SL28, so that might be the only one that That's the more she's growing. One. Yeah. Yeah. SL28 is a um is like the higher end of the two that's like more appreciated amongst uh coffee enthusiasts. Oh, okay. Um, I personally, because I'm not a huge fan of tomato, mm-hmm. like SL35, but only when it's grown at high elevation. It's awesome. Some of my favorite coffee from Kenya has been High elevation SL35. So well, that's good just curious know. if she brought Interesting. it up. Interesting. Yeah. She did not bring up SL35. She only talked about SL28. But she's very proud of Kenyan coffee. She has a lot of pride in it. She really wants to share that with people. She said that a pound of coffee costs the farmer $2.50 to grow. She said 
typically the farmers will make $1 per pound or less. Mm. And so part of her whole thing is helping the farmers and the people working the farms get more money from their efforts. So she has, um, it's like to tip a farmer on her website. Yeah, it's cute. And there's like a little QR code on the bag and you can go in and a dollar, five dollars, whatever. That's cool. Yeah, and then Kahawa matches what people tip the farmers. And so typically, so how it works in Kenya, all most of the men work outside of the farm. And then the labor on the farms is women and children of the family. And uh. this is where we get that it costs more technically to produce the coffee because, you know, it's these families working their own land. So basically if, you know, our whole family worked in our backyard and then we sold whatever it was that we were growing for a fraction of what it would have cost to produce that had we all paid ourselves, say, minimum wage or whatever. Ah, So that's how it is. So when you're tipping one of the farmers, you're compensating that person for the work that they're doing that they didn't get compensated for. So that's Mm. what she means when she breaks it down like that. So that's like her one of her biggest things is to, you know, so she grows up on a farm. She sees like, you know, all of her female relatives working on this farm and everybody's not being compensated. Everybody's okay with it because it's like you already own the land. The farm is, or the land's been passed down through your generations. You don't necessarily want to let it go because right. it's been in your family and it's your family's business. And getting something out of the land is better than nothing. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. But you're not getting fairly compensated. So that's her big thing. She really wants to be able to support the women. So all the money goes into one pool, and then that money gets divided up amongst the people working. And so the women are using this money to start their own businesses. I know that I saw something about like a grain mill, like a corn mill that they were talking about, like starting up like a corn processing, a maize processing plant um another one was like they wanted to do some coffee processing so that they could um rather than sending their coffee to the processor and having to pay them they could just own the production all the way along the way also the women are using this money for education to educate their children um to pay for schools like better quality schools in kenya so the the money that you tip and then that kahawa matches really does go pretty far as far as like the business side aside from that i think it runs pretty typically to a coffee business like a regular coffee business where you know she's buying the coffee in lots from kenya also um, looking at her website she has expanded to other countries and then you know she sells it and just like we do or whatever we all get paid um and then those tips are are the extra and they're only going to the farmer end of things yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. exactly. To the to the collective fund. So she talks a lot about how did we get to the point where farmers aren't getting compensated mm. what they're worth. Mm-hmm. I guess the whole coffee industry, no surprise when I read this, was completely done on slave labor. So labor has never been a factor of the cost of coffee. Whoa. Which kind of blows my mind, which is true, because even now, I don't think that farmers are fairly compensated, even under fair trade, which is better than commodity. Mm. I mean, now we're thinking back to now she's given us a figure. The farmer needs to be getting at least 250 for it to be worth what it costs to produce. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not including like the cost of the processor and the cost of the importer and the cost of this, this, this and this. Wow. 
Yeah. And so Brazil was the last country to abolish slavery in 1888. And so after that happened, you know, it wasn't quite so cheap to get coffee from Brazil any longer. So some missionaries, I guess, brought back some coffee plants, some bourbon. Bourbon? Mm. I don't know how it's pronounced. Bourbon, Marcus likes yeah. to add a little flair <laughs> in my I mean, mind. That's what it's... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've always read it in my mind as bourbon, but that might just be a Kentucky thing. Bourbon, maybe, because it's French, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I think that is how it's pronounced, but, you know, you do you. I don't know. Maybe you're doing you. Marcus, why are you giving me a weird look right now? <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, I do know. <laughs> All right, now I'm curious. Because you can't be trusted, she's going to look it up. Right. Yep. I mean, you know, it's kind of something that you talk about in the industry. It's a, it's a huge, uh, hugely okay. important varietal. Let's listen. Bourbon coffee. Oh, wait, let's listen to that again. Bourbon coffee. Because Google knows. Okay. It's bourbon, 100%. It's bourbon. There okay. are numerous sources here. That say bourbon. Bourbon? Bourbon. Okay. I was ready to believe Marcus. Okay. Huh. Yeah. And there's no, He's very there's convincing. zero sources that say bourbon. None. Okay. None. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. Okay. The internet, the internet's always right. Uh, <laughs> can you believe this right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, anyways, Marcus. <laughs> so anyways, so here, this is a, the, here is the tale and I'll wrap this, I'll bring this all back around with some thoughts about Margaret's and her family when I'm done. So anyways, so 1893, that's where she gets the name. Kahawa means coffee. 1893 is when coffee was brought to Kenya to be produced commercially. Okay, cool. Interestingly. Oh. It wasn't produced commercially in Kenya before that, despite the fact that Ethiopia, the birthplace of both humans and coffee, is right next door. It was like, I know that there was a lot of like tribal like warfare going on. So maybe they're like, keep that fucking plant out of this country. Well, you know. On that side of the river. You know more huh. about the history of, was it grown commercially? Do you know if it was grown commercially in Ethiopia? It was grown in Ethiopia, but they were like really protective of over where and how yeah yeah because they didn't want people coming and getting the seeds well because it makes more sense like if ethiopia is right next door that they would just grab some plants from ethiopia and take them to kenya but no they took bourbon coffee plants all the way from brazil and brought them back to africa to kenya (laughs) crazy crazy oh that is crazy yeah because it's a different variety in ethiopia than what's in this bourbon from brazil bourbon yep yeah bourbon coffee bourbon coffee Anyways, so, um, so yeah, it was brought back 1893. That's when it came here. So this is also the time of like mass colonization of the continent of Africa. So Europe had like in in West Africa they had some edges, you know, like where they were taking people for slaves, and they had you know some seaports and stuff. And then on the eastern side of Africa there were like some. Like territories of that were for like Saudi Arabia or something like mm. Middle Eastern countries. Uh, in my research, I was talking about the sultans. So mm. like they had some yeah, eastern borders, but yeah, like the middle part of Africa was really not colonized. In late eighteen hundreds, fucking Europe, it was the race to colonize. 
it was French, French, right? Oh no, it was like all of the countries of Europe were like racing to to colonize the entire continent of Africa. Quick question: the majority of it was Britain. So, by the way. who brought the bourbon variety to Brazil? What country was that? I don't know. Was it the French? Was it? I don't know. How do the French pronounce bourbon? I wonder. <laughs> Can you just stop? And we don't know. Was it the French? All I know, you need to stop right now because you're interrupting my story because you're like, your ego is hurt right now. Anyways. So, so Africa is just filled with free, empty land. So yes. No one has any claim to. None. On a right. bunch of free labor, they just got to figure out how to make that labor free. Hmm. So how did they make that labor free and take that land that was pretty much uninhabited. Was it by being extra nice? Mm-hmm. They just went in there and they said, hey, guys, can we please? And like, You're the, not doing anything with this shit. The people were already so, they were so accommodating. They were like, sure, hmm. European settlers, colonizers. <laughs> we're thrilled to have you here. Welcome. We've been waiting so long. After, you know. Oh. Bring us your guns and your Jesus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We've been waiting for. <laughs> So what happened was in Kenya, um, first there was this, um, it was like a company, it was like the Imperial British East Africa Company. It was like a privately held deal. So they got a land grant in 1888 to like build roads and build railways to kind of um, do some like- From who? Yeah. From the British. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So basically before that, the continent of Africa was like all tribal lands. So they had like a system. It was kind of like everybody was just kind of doing their thing on their land. And then they got a little bit more territorial because um, the people who, the Arab people who had taken over the coastal areas were more territorial. So like these tribal people had these now territories of land and then they, that they kind of occupied. And they were like, kind of like, hey, stay out of my tribal area. And um, so that's kind of how it went. But it wasn't split up into countries. There weren't these borders. That was all completely European. And that's actually kind of why everything is so fucked. Because they like... Drew the lines where they wanted them. In a way that wasn't like culturally... uh, Didn't work culturally. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. (sighs) I didn't realize those country lines weren't there until like 1900 yeah geez it was all the europeans they're the ones who cut everything up and divided everything and a lot of it was based on resources um so anyways so this um imperial british east africa company they ran out of money there was like a number of different people or, or interests involved and everybody couldn't get along and then all the money ran out and so then they were like hey british government like why don't you take this over and so the british government wasn't so concerned with the kenyan area they were more interested in the area of uganda because i guess there was more minerals over there yeah. but kenya was nice because it was like a really nice climate it was really beautiful there were lots of advertisements back in britain about how like Come move to Kenya. It's beautiful. The cost of living is less expensive and the weather's beautiful. Come get some land and make a life for yourself. So a lot of people from Britain came for that reason. Um, and did what? Like, Well, so this is what happened. So all these people are coming from Britain. You know, there's already people living here. So <laughs> Don't forget. Don't forget. <laughs> so this is uh, how the Britons, the British... Uh, government stole all the land from the native Kenyans. So they took all the land because they first imposed a hut tax. So the native Kenyans were living here. They lived in huts. Well, they weren't like using 
British money. So like the British so were like, you- it, hold on, back it up. So the British came there and they were like, oh, this is our land now. Yeah. You people oh, owe us money. Us money. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Because this is our land now. Yes. And they're like, everybody here has to pay a hut tax. Okay. And then Just when people sure couldn't pay. Insane. Yeah. It's so fucked up. Then oh when the God. people who weren't participating in the British monetary system couldn't pay the hut tax, they then lost their land to the British. <laughs> oh they lost God. their huts to the British. Well, the British weren't satisfied with the hut tax. So what they next imposed was a poll tax, which was a tax on each individual person. And so when... <laughs> Oh, my God. Pay us for your existence Yeah, on your land that yeah. we now own Yeah, because the queen said yeah. or whatever. Exactly. And so then when you couldn't pay your poll tax, well, now you had to be an indentured servant. Oh, my God. You had to work off your taxes by working for the British or the landowners <sighs> whose land they just took from you. I'm glad slavery had ended. I'm glad that was right. all a thing of the past. I know. Yeah. I know. Because slavery is... Slavery is wrong. Slavery, right, so right. wrong. But indentured servitude, like, you look, nobody can live for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> look at these people just living in a beautiful environment for free. We what can't have this. No. no. Oh, yeah. God, this is infuriating. Go Very ahead. Very infuriating. What? Why should they be not allowed to pay? When every other British citizen has to pay for their existence, <laughs> I mean, you That's make a good point. Fair. I mean, what would happen if you were, you know, part of British territory somewhere else? Like, it's not fair. oh, Ireland, right? <laughs> oh, I remember this thing called like the potato famine because all the Irish people well, had to that work. That worked out very well for the British. Send okay? their money to the lords. It's basically the exact same thing that happened in Ireland is now happening in Kenya. And the lands in Kenya that they were taking, while not mineral rich, were also, but were very nice farmlands, like very rich soils, very good climate. So what do they start growing? Coffee and tea. So those are like two of the biggest imports. Back then, though, turn of like 1900, Kenyans, native Kenyans were not, only not allowed to grow coffee. That was only for the British landowners. They were the only ones allowed to grow coffee. They were also not even allowed to drink coffee. <laughs> Yeah. So they bring this plant in. I mean, I guess it wasn't really a part of their culture, but just the fact that they forbade them yeah. from even drinking it at all was so fucked up. Um, so anyways, there's there's kind of a lot of pushback. 1930s um, is when the British were like, okay, this is, you know what, you guys, some of you are allowed to farm. So I find this interesting because that's also when Margaret from Kahawa, her grandfather, 1930s, is when he managed to get a plot of land okay. or had a plot oh. of land. The region that he was living in, um, in West Kenya, was like the first region and his ethnic group was like the first ethnic group that was allowed to farm coffee for themselves. Okay. I just, I have a lot of questions. Like he was a driver, for the British government. So he worked for the British government. Somewhat high-ranking if you're a driver. You're not just some laborer out in the farm. So it seems to me that maybe he was somewhat well-connected to the British. Makes me wonder if maybe that's why she's, like, a little bit vague and cagey. Mm. Because there's some more fucked-up shit that continues to happen. Mm. 1930s, 40s. So this is, like, the, Brit or the British have allowed a select few 
of the Kenyans to grow the grow coffee and have a farm. That's so nice. Yeah. I know. So nice of him. You guys are in the club. Yeah. Uh, sort of. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so World War II happens. A lot of Kenyans go are forced to or go by voluntarily. I don't know how. Probably a mixture of both to go fight on the behalf of the British. They're fighting in Africa. Some of them left to go to Europe. But there's a lot of fighting between like Madagascar and here and there all over. There's like a bunch of fighting happening in. I think we talked about that in a yeah, previous episode, in right? Yeah, Northern Africa. Yeah, Casablanca. Yeah, Northern Africa had a lot of fighting. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Aldi, I think it was. One yeah. of the Aldi guys got sent to yes. Af- Northern Africa. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of these Kenyans, they're like, okay, now we've gone and we've actually fought for you fuckers. We feel like we deserve some more independence. And British, of course, were like, yeah, no. We're going to send the army. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how, well, how you just, really feel. They basically denied them. They were like, okay, so the, the largest um, ethnic group of Kenya was called the Kikuyu. And so... Um, what they did was they were like, this is fucked up. Like, we still can't own our own land. We're still these in, it, like stuck in this indentured servitude. We literally fought and lost our lives on behalf of this government. Like, we're not taking this shit anymore. So, you know, this is not that much longer, 50, 60 years after the colonization of Kenya by the British. So they start what's called the Mau Mau Rebellion. Have you guys heard of this? I have. What do you know about the Mau Nothing. Mau Rebellion? Okay. Um, I'm just going to plug Radiolab. They did a really awesome episode on the Mau Mau Rebellion. Uh, So I highly recommend listening to that. I think it's like 2015 or 2016. Maybe that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. So they basically, I guess like oath-taking is really big culturally amongst the Kikuyu and maybe other ethnic groups in the, in Africa or this area of Africa, but particularly among the Kikuyu. So they all took an oath. Basically, the oath was, we're going to fight against the British, we're going to kill the British, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the British out of our land. And then they start fighting back. You know, we should probably, like, give a warning. Oh, yeah. Like- okay, cut in a trigger warning. <laughs> okay, trigger warning. There's going to be some terrible shit. Gore and horrible things. They are attacking people. Also, people who are loyalists to the British government, like natives who are loyalists, are attacking them. They're, um, yeah, they're like hamstringing. I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is where you call, this is not done to humans. It's done to like their livestock. They cut the hamstrings of their livestock so that their livestock can't move or walk. So they're doing some things that are really terrifying and scary and also like you know the british have been here they haven't had these people rising up against them like this so everybody's really freaked out about it and then um the some mau mau people went and they attacked a british family they like butchered the child a six-year-old um in in his bed when he was sleeping and so the press so the british distributed the pictures of the bed to the press and so of course now everybody is so like these mau mau they are so extreme they are so scary these are terrorists look at what's like savage people they are (laughs) one white kid died yeah yeah like there's no reason for it (laughs) yeah exactly shut it down and in fact like it's spread to other countries one of the co-hosts on Radio Lab. His mom is from Tanzania, and even like in Tanzania, her growing up at this time period, 
heard the stories of the Mau Mau. They were the boogeymen. They were terrifying. They were told, like, they became larger than life, the story of the Mau Mau. Some good British marketing. Absolutely. And the British government is like, well, we have to now fight back. At the time, in the press, they made it seem like they had a small rebellion. They took care of it. And it was fine. And everything was fine for another 10 years until they gave Kenya their independence. This is like was the official British narrative up until like the 2000s. I get the sense that that's not actually what happened. So what actually happened was in response to the Mau Mau rebellion. So we're talking like 1952. This is what was particularly appalling to me was like the timeline of how close it was to the concentration camps Mm. to now. They went to the Kikuyu, largest ethnic group of Kenya, 1.5 million people. They went through all of 1.5 million people, rounded them up into concentration camps, 800 concentration camps and prison camps, tortured, murdered, and just like basically completely fucked up an entire ethnic group of people. There was... um, um, like in their minds, it was like they were like, there must be something wrong with them that they're fighting back with us. So we have to basically break them and make them, you know, admit that they were wrong and pledge allegiance to Britain. So that was kind of their strategy. Wow. Just a few examples of things that people said happened to them. There was like one guy whose legs were tied spread apart and then he was beaten in the testicles. Another person, they burned his eyes with hot coals. This is horrible. Uh, Another guy was sodomized with a stick and they packed in his anus with water and sand. And then uh, there's like documentation of them roasting people alive. This is the British government to the Kikuyu people. So, like, basically, I mean, I don't want to say worse than Nazis. I don't know what the scale is, but we're literally talking about less than a decade. Yeah. Like, seven years after World War II ended, this British response to the Mau Mau Rebellion began. How long did this response go on? Can we call it a genocide? How long did this genocide go on? It didn't last very long. It was like a few years of this, and then the Mau Mau Rebellion was ended. They quashed. They quashed it. The rebellion. Through the means of like, what would this be? Crimes against humanity? I mean, were they torturing people until they made the pledge and like most of those people walked out of the camps or did they exterminate one and a half million people they did not exterminate one and a half million people i think they tortured and mutilated people until they would give in and And then they were like so so basically they had different levels so it's like you started out at this level and then you could move up to this level and then you moved up to this level and then i think you were released it's just a re-education camp what's the problem you're right you're right so, Have you ever read 1984? <laughs> That's what it sounds like here. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's really fucked up. So by comparison, 32 people were killed by the Mau Mau. Okay. The response was, let's torture, mutilate, and kill, affect, displace some aspect of that range to 1.5 million people. And the British government, they did a really great job covering it up. But I guess there were, like, people who were not cool with this, so they kept a lot of records. And then these records were, like, semi-secretly, like, sent to a storage room in Britain. Oh, wow. In fact, from all of the colonies and all of 
the paperwork and all of the atrocities committed throughout all of the colonies, it's like 15 miles of files. Like this storeroom, the store building is so huge that it equals like 15 miles of records of like whatever atrocities, atrocities, basically. You know, we're coming back closer to the modern day. A woman, a researcher, she was like, she wrote a book. She had actually stumbled upon this by accident. Um, She was in Nairobi doing some research for her undergrad, in fact. And she stumbled across some records and was like, hmm, these are weird, and started going into it. And then went out into the country star side and started interviewing the Kikuyu people and started collecting all of these stories of all of these people, of what was happening, and then like just kept tracing it. And Eventually, she wrote a book. But then her book was criticized by, like, other scholars, probably British scholars, as saying, like, well, you don't have any official records of any of the things. This entire book is completely hearsay. So um, there ended up being a lawsuit on behalf of some of the Kikuyu people. And then some lawyer, they could not – everything was on lockdown. It was like – you know, every avenue this lawyer tried to take could not get the records. The British government just kept saying, like, oh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. There's no records. We can't find That them. never happened. Yeah. Right. And uh, so through some very clever lawyering, this guy finally got the British government to admit that there were documents and to turn over the documents. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. not until 2009, though. Wow. This evidence and so much more wow. was found. About the British, its response to the well, Mau Nobody Mau. had ever gone through it, so we didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know yeah. what was there. Why would I anybody mean, know? Just a bunch of papers in a warehouse. From Kenya. That's it. You know, who wants to look through that? Well, Wowza. Yeah, so now like they have like two old guys going through all of these files to like settle claims and Jeez. bring to light but it's like how are these two guys like they're very specific like british officials who are allowed to go through these things oh, they're like old and retired and like could you imagine just file after file going through because like they have to redact them before they're allowed to be released so they have to go through all of these files and do redactions before the files are allowed to be released how are they ever going to get through 15 miles of files and their and attorneys, redactions. which take their goddamn time with everything, as yeah. far as I can tell, anyways. Mm-hmm. So is the idea that there may be, like, some sort of payment from the British government to people who were victimized, if these two guys ever managed to... Well, this one, the one, the 2009 lawsuit, that was on behalf of the Kikuyu people. Okay. And so they did get compensation, but it was, like, $4,000 uh-huh. each. Of, like, the people who were a part of this lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, it's something. And then they got the admission that, you know, the British really were super fucked up. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, as far as anybody else who may have been colonized, it's going to be a while. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, it just, it makes me wonder, did her family have connections? Were they maybe British loyalists? Um yeah. You know, is that maybe a reason why... This is all speculation. She seems very nice. She seems, like, very kind. I'm not saying that, like, she necessarily supports any of this. I'm not saying that her family supports it. But it does make me wonder, like, how back in colonial days when the majority of Native Kenyans were had their land taken and forced into indentured servitude, did her grandfather even have land to grow coffee on Hmm. and then how is you know how is he one of like five people or whatever it was that was allowed to grow coffee um and then have this wealth and this you know to be able to 
create. What did you this... uncover here, Jenny? I don't know. It just makes me wonder, you know? Crazy. Question. Did any of them go to British schools? That'll be a good. Uh-uh. Okay. Far, I mean, I don't know. Her schooling was all in the United States, but she didn't say anything about her siblings' schooling. Huh. I don't know. I didn't look into that too much. I was more focused on, like, the Harvard and the Smith College. Huh. Well, you can't blame the grandfather too much for doing what he had to do to take care of his family or whatever, given mm-hmm. the extenuating circumstances of what was going on all around them. Right. Jeez, what a fucking nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then Kenya just, like, ended up kind of just, it's like since the decolonization, like, 1963, I think it was, that they decolonized, the British decolonized, you know, the, the first president was originally, he was actually a Kikuyu person himself mm-hmm. and was jailed on suspicion of being um, part of the Mau Mau Rebellion. But then when he was elected president, he was let out of prison. He denounced the Mau Mau. He he was elected to the presidency while he was in jail? Yeah. This sounds just like 1984, for real. It's like so weird. It's so crazy. There's so much. Like, okay, we're going to put you in jail. We're going to torture you and then make you one of ours. And Kenya is like one of the more more stable African countries, I guess. My understanding is it's one of the more prosperous and more stable um, African countries. So, yeah, I don't know. I I guess Kenyatta is like credited for that, for creating financial stability or whatever. But hmm. it just makes me wonder if maybe that's why she's a little bit cagey, because maybe like there's been so much turmoil in her country that she's lived through and her parents have lived through. And maybe her parents were on this other side because they're not from the Kikuyu um, ethnic group. So they wouldn't most likely wouldn't have been Mau Mau. Her family was from Kisi. So yeah, they're a different ethnic group too. So... Who knows? I don't know. But that just it did make me wonder if maybe that's what was going on. But nowadays she, you know, it's like she wants to support the women. She, so she has expanded her operation into, I think, Somalia, Uganda. Well, she doesn't owe us an explanation about her whole family history, but I'm sure it would be an interesting story. I know. Do you want to drink some coffee? Yeah. So, like, as far as we have two coffees from Kahawa, we're going to have to decide. We'll do an on-air like deciding. Ooh. Yeah. So, what are my options? So tea, particularly chai tea, was the drink of Kenya. Then her parents' generation, now everybody's allowed to grow and consume coffee. So they got really into the coffee drinking. And so we have her African spice tea, which is chai tea spices. And then we also have a Kenyan coffee that we ordered. Is the chai one a Chai coffee or a chai tea? It's a chai spiced coffee. Okay. Oh. Do we want to go like American consumer and like global consumer of Kenyan coffee? Or do we want to go like native Kenyan consumer of coffee? Which which route do we want to go? One's well, going to be a love it or leave what it. Is, yeah. What is the chai? Is that already ground? Yeah. Pre-ground. Mm-hmm. So I would, is the Kenya whole bean? Yeah. I'd vote the whole bean. Okay. And then we grind it. Yeah, I'm with Marcus. Okay. That makes sense. And then we'll try the chai tea for love it or leave it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the, not chai tea, the chai coffee. Yeah. All right, cool. How Let's big is this coffee company? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I It's hard for me to tell. I think that she must be somewhat big. So she has fantastic marketing. She is all over the place. You Google her name and there are Google pages upon Google pages of like articles that she's been interviewed for. So fantastic marketing. She is in 
or at least a year ago, she was in the Trader Joe's in California. Mm. She was at Target, but when I went to, when I was like scoping it out, Target no longer sells it, huh. although it's still listed on their website. It says out of stock. Okay. Huh. So that's strange. And then we tried to buy a bag at Fresh Time because it said that she was sold at Fresh Time, wasn't there. Huh. So that's a little confusing. I don't really know. She had some sort of an expansion and then has maybe brought it back in. I'm not really sure exactly. Did you buy these online then from her website? Yes and no. So the the chai spice one I bought from her website. And then as I was doing my research over the weekend, um, I was like, I don't know if this if we should do the chai spice anymore. I think we should maybe get a Kenyan. And that's when I was like trying to find out where I could buy it locally. So I checked out Target and checked out Target.com and I checked out the Instacart app and checked out Fresh Time. And I couldn't find it locally, so I bought it on Amazon because mm. I knew I could get it quickly. Everyone's global retailer. Yeah. Yeah. So she is sold on Amazon, okay. but the coffee is roasted in July, and we're now in October. Okay. So that's like the pitfall of trying to sell on Amazon. That's why we took all of our coffee away from Amazon, because mm. we didn't control the freshness of it. Right. Okay. But it's not bad when it's from July, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I still think it's going to be great. I'm not turning my nose up at it. I'm still going to yeah, drink I'm it sure happily. Yeah, it's still going to be fresh as... It's fresh still. Delicious. It's be great. All awesome. Right. Thanks for teaching us about all the fucked up things that happen in Kenya. Probably not all of them, but a select few for today. Yeah. You know, I had to kind of pick and choose. This is kind of like the overview of the most fucked up and the thing I found the most interesting. Like I said, it's really hard to find like deep information on all of this stuff that happened in Kenya. Like my best information came from that Radiolab episode because they always do a, a standout they job. They do their research. They're good. And then, um, yeah, just like kind of trying to pick out pieces of information from Margaret's story. Um, that's where I got a lot of information about the coffee and how it got there. Cool. So well, anyways, shall, shall we, we brew, brew some, some coffee? coffee? Woohoo! Shall we brew some coffee? Woo! Modest Coffee roasts the highest quality single origin coffees without the snobbery. They take the guesswork out of buying specialty coffee by carefully curating green coffees and sorting them to one of their tiers based on cupping score, price, flavor notes, and roast level. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Pip pip cheerio! Okay, we're back. We had a customer come in. We ordered ourselves some lunch. Brewed on a Fetco instead of a Technovorm today. That's that a pour was, over. That wasn't an ad, you but know. they should be sponsoring us. I can't. I Here, toss can't it to me. This back. Oh. All right. <laughs> it's it. olfactory reveal time. Here, toss it to me. No, I got it. <laughs> I'm determined. No one can get the bag open. She does have some, like, a really, really... Okay, so talk about the packaging real quick. Hang on. I love the... Pa- I love <laughs> her. beautiful. Can I... Yeah, I just want to talk about how much I love her packaging. She has on the back the QR code to tip the farmers like we talked about in the beginning. Oh, that's cool. Uh, She has an incredibly durable zipper on her bag. (laughs) I did. Oh, you got it. She did say in one episode um, that I listened to with her that she gets her packaging from China. Ah, Guangzhou. Probably. Yeah. Smells good. Yeah. It doesn't smell like the typical Kenyan coffees that I've smelled. Does it smell like Campbell soup? <laughs> Tomato soup. That's a classic. That's like really classic, yeah, for a Kenyan. 
SL28. Marcus exaggerates a little bit. I don't know that I got tomato soup. No, I didn't get I tomato from it either. Sweet though. She's really into the specialty coffee Kinda side caramely. of things. It yeah. was really cool to like listen to her talk about, you know, she talks the language of a specialty coffee person, which is cool. She's into the mm. specialty side of it. Um, yeah, talks a lot about roasting, talks a lot about different brew techniques. She talks a lot about, you know, varietals and elevation. So she knows her shit, which I enjoy. It reminds me of a classic Kenyan. I'm getting blackberry notes. Mm-hmm. And that's very... Another another classic Kenyan aroma. Yeah. How do the beans look? It's a medium light roast. Do they look light? Uh, it looks legit and medium light to me. Great. It's really good. Cool. All well, right. Let's try it. The packaging is very brightly colored and whimsical. There's like... Yeah, there's like monstera leaves and a monkey and some eyes peering at me. <laughs> it's super cute. I know. I really like the packaging. <laughs> I love the colors on it. Yeah, so it smells like a... I think it smells Kenyan. Smells like a Kenyan. Does it have that like Kenyan? It doesn't have that tomato smell to it. Well, then there's like the Kenyan dryness, like the astringency too. I get a lot of like really dry. Like she said, wine. You know, it's got a, like a really whiny, syrupy. Hmm. T- I wonder if it's got. What any is of this that noise for... I'm hearing? Is that like the bubbles popping in our cups? Move your cup away. It was. That's so crazy. Hmm. Good microphones. Yeah. That's what makes our podcast stand out from the others. Yeah. I hope that guy who just stopped in listens. Hey, guy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for stopping in. That was me. Hope you like it. Yeah. Does it taste like dish soap? It's way too hot to taste. Way too hot. I would say it does not taste like dish soap. Great. Yep. What is that smell I'm getting then? Uh, dish soap. Jasmine. Floral. Yeah, maybe it is kind of floral. It's very floral. Yeah. So floral, I thought it was soap. Yeah. Little fruity too, little fruity, little fruity. floral. It, I really it like the good. way it smells yeah. a lot. It looks got a tang to it. Pretty dark in the cup. It's got some tomato notes in it. It's not bad. <laughs> it's got a, it's a highly uh, acidic tang yeah, of coffee. It does have a. Yeah. I gotta wait till it cools off a little. Maybe I want an ice cube. It does feel like it was maybe brewed a little strong. It's got the coating, blackberry, a little bit of tomato, tanginess. So normally we would um, try it black and then try adding a little cream and sugar if necessary to get it to a point where we could uh, give it a not bad review. And then beyond that, we can also add whiskey or whipped cream if necessary. Yeah. Today's a little fucked up because we're at the warehouse. We definitely have whiskey. And we don't drink at the warehouse. <laughs> we, no drinking on the job, guys. This is a manufacturing plant. I definitely did not forget whiskey at home. We definitely have it. It's a, it's a little concerning, I have to say, that we're not working with our usual set up here we don't have whipped cream either i don't <laughs> I think know. is there any in the fridge guys the illusion of sound come on <laughs> i Take have advantage of it we have um chocolate ice cream bars does that count as anything no uh i've got i might have a cannabis gummy in my purse that we could <laughs> melt right in there if we need to i think we have some old adderall that we could crush up <laughs> we'll do what we need to do with what we have on hand to give this coffee a not bad review that is our pledge to you whatever it takes um all right i added a nice cube it was really hot 
Is that going to be our fourth item? Sometimes mm. we had an ice cube. Sometimes we had an ice cube, especially Jenny. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> it's like, I don't like to wait. I don't want to wait. I would rather, I just worry about watering it down. I like my coffee a little stronger. I think that now that it's cooled down and is watered down, one singular ice cube though, <laughs> come on. That's not going to do much. You're the one who weighs out the fucking coffee grounds. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, we do brew it on the the um, stronger side of the SCA recommendation. Oh, okay. So adding an ice cube would actually maybe just bring it in line with what it what the SCA recommends. See, that's how okay. Jenny is. Even when she's wrong, she's right. <laughs> what? That's not true? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Still pissed about that whole bourbon thing? Uh, I believe so. You know, whatever. Um, What do you think? I think it's good. I can't. I'm not burning my tongue on this. No. I haven't added anything to it. I think it's good. I think I might add a little cream. I think a little cream is maybe where I'm going to want it. Um, It is like, it's kind of fruity, a little bit juicy. Um, It's got a lot of astringency to it. It's like a dry red wine. Huh. I don't not like it. That's different, though. That's really different. Do you get the different. tomato and the aftertaste? Like, on the finish, it should taste a little tomato-y. I don't know. That's such a weird flavor note. I don't know. I feel it's, like I'm... I'm not getting the tomato that I... When you have a Kenyan that has those tomato notes to it, you know it, for sure. It's like, it's un, it's unmistakable. Yeah. Mm. And this does not have end. it... This is more of like a finish... Tomatoey finish. Look, I don't have a professional coffee tasting palette over here as a as as just a normie. <laughs> I'm not getting the tomato, but I am getting like the the fruitier notes, like the juicier berry notes. I mean, there's just there's a lot going on in this cup, like in in a good way. Like there's a lot of flavor in here. Yeah, I think if you are familiar with Kenyans, this is pretty classic Kenyan. Before I added the cream, it had just a smidge of bitterness that I was hoping to um, smooth out a little bit with the cream, and I smoothed it out with the cream, and I think it's really good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like this. I don't... We don't do too many Kenyans here. This tastes, like, very unfamiliar to me. It tastes very different to me. Yeah, we haven't had a Kenyan in a while. We actually have, like, one roast of Kenya that I want to run through the roaster and get that out to the stores. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, Boom. we're yeah. probably gonna, you'll probably see this out there within the next month of October sometime. Check yeah. your local Woodman's. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, we, um, and we haven't had Kenyan in a minute. Um, last year's, like, global supply chain was, like, so fucked up. Right. Like, that coffee didn't arrive until really, really late. Um, she said one thing that I found was really interesting, too, about Kenyan coffee is that... Um, so this is not a bad review. Um, I think that the coffee, for me, in my taste, it's like it's got a little bit more acidity than I normally go for in my cup of coffee. It's got a little more astringency and like a little more bitterness than I normally go for. So I think that I, too, will try and add a little, little, little something, something to make it... To write to writing it out a little bit. I think um, it's funny. I think what you don't like about it is what I do like about it because I do tend to like a darker roast. And not that this is a dark roast, but you know, I smelled it and it smelled fruity, and I thought I wasn't going to like it. I thought it was going to have that sour kind of taste that I don't like, but it doesn't. It's got the fruity flavor without the sourness. Mm-hmm. I really like it. 
It does have a little bit of, I think it has a little bit of bitterness to it mm-hmm. that maybe like gets rid of that sour taste that you don't like. And I, I don't mind that... a little bit of the bitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think it's a really interesting cup of coffee and I really like it. Yeah. So I think it, it works really well. Um, I think I like it better with some cream to it. Um, I mean, I normally like my coffee with a little bit of cream, mm-hmm. so I thought it was good. So you think they're doing the roasting themselves at this point? I do think so. Just based on that conversation that they, there was just like a little aside mm-hmm. where like, I don't know, they must not have, maybe they were on video call, but anyways, in the background, there was the sound of some coffee dumping and it sounded like it was going into a hopper and the mm-hmm. guy said something about like, oh, was that somebody dumping some coffee? And she said, yes. Huh. You like it better with cream? I had a cream and sugar. This the sweetener kind of brings it even more fruity. Mm. Um, so it has a little bit more of that, and uh, it probably like yeah. cancels out a little bit of that bitterness. Yeah, and now it's like I think I've gone. I think I added too much sweetener. <laughs> like too sweet. Now. Add some more coffee to it then. Yeah. I added too oh, much cream. Good. I ended up having to add a bunch of more coffee to it. Too. <laughs> Sometimes it takes some work to get it perfect. I'm quite happy with it black. I won't do anything. Since we don't have the whiskey here, I won't do anything. Yeah. I think that's a, I think I might have just added too much. I a little coffee to it. So just dulling you, it up a bit. I thought you guys were using the whiskey to make it better. Now it sounds like the coffee, whether it's good or not, is getting whiskey. It's just an is excuse what's to going drink. On? Yeah. Is this what's going on all this time? Well, no, no not... sometimes it's out of necessity. I'm and other times kidding. it's for fun. Depends on the week. <laughs> This is what I like about what she's doing with her contributions to the women who are working on the farms is that her company is matching donations. Yeah. I don't think tipping is the best way for people to get paid what they deserve to be paid, but it's something Mm -hmm. for now. Yeah. So it is a clever way of trying to... I don't know. I feel like why can't everything just cost a dollar more so these people actually get paid what they deserve? But then there are so many middlemen that apparently that's not a good way to get money to them either. Well, plus you have to figure So I looked this up. um, Like property ownership in Kenya is not favorable towards women. Mm. So um, like if you're trying to actually directly support the people who are, you know, harvesting the coffee and doing the majority of the work. Um, you know, if you pay more for the coffee, that's just going to go to the head of the farm anyways, which Mm. is going to be a male relative of these women. And, you know, like most likely this is like a cooperative effort. Like you figure in my household, if we were farmers, Marcus wouldn't just get more money and keep it for himself. He would share that with his family. Mm -hmm. And I have to believe that probably this is common everywhere. But wouldn't it be nice, like, Marcus is off working his office job in the ma- in the next major city. Mm-hmm. Me and the kids are doing all the coffee harvest. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if we were, like, compensated directly for that? Yeah. Um. So this, while I was, like, put off by the whole tipping policy at first, um, you know, after really kind of thinking about it and, like, learning more about how the social structures are there, you know, for it to go directly to these women and it goes into a fund and they all can decide together how they're spending the money or like, do they want to pool their resources? And, you know, like, like I said, like buy that corn mill or whatever, Mm -hmm. or do they want to take it for themselves and go do this other thing? You know, it, it helps. Yeah. Cause I can't really think of a better way for us to get money directly to them. Yeah. So who's this coffee for? Oh man. 
I think this coffee is for... Uh, it's hard to fit in a box, though, right? Yeah, because, I mean, it's a specialty coffee, so I think it's for somebody who's interested in specialty coffee. I think it's also, you know, supporting women. It's a woman-owned business, a black woman-owned business. So I think that it's there for people who, like, want to support somebody who is outside of the normal box of the coffee so, industry. woke democratic snowflakes this coffee for you (laughs) um you know i think that that people that like like um this is like your classic specialty kenyan coffee like i think that this would check um boxes for people that are you know into that yeah i don't know i think it's a good cup of coffee and cute packaging so i think you know I think this coffee would make a great gift. Like mm. if I got a bag, this bag, I mean, it would just be like fun and it's bright. It could, yeah, this would be like a great gift coffee for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to try the uh, the chaya and love it or leave it. I'm really yeah. excited for that too. The, too. Those flavors playing nicely with well, the intensity of the fruity berry coffee yeah is it the same coffee and the mm. chai mm, we'll find I out no i'm excited and you can find out too if you subscribe <laughs> it. at, at patreon.com slash no bad reviews pod for just one dollar per episode you get bonus episodes nice yeah and, and they're we- hilarious too they're so <laughs> funny we go a little off the rails, sometimes in a good way. Yeah, I was yeah. laughing so hard at like this week's episode. I didn't listen to published. that one yet. So fucking funny. <laughs> that, yeah, um, that was the Vita Cup hydration. Yeah, that was last good. or two weeks ago or whatever. Oh, By the time right. this airs, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, so yeah, like we said, you're gonna find out what we think of the African spice tea from Kahawa on Patreon.com/slash No Bad Reviews Pod. Go tell a friend. Last week, we told you to call somebody. This time, we're going to tell you to write a letter, snail mail it to somebody about our podcast. <laughs> Dear sir or madam. <laughs> <laughs> to whom it may concern. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, tell a friend about our podcast. We'd love it if you could give us a rating because um, or a review. If you give us a review, it makes us our hearts flutter when somebody says Aww. something nice about us. It does. Mm-hmm. It's real sweet. I know. So please make our hearts flutter. I think that's it. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast, generously sponsored by Modest Coffee, purveyors of single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Visit www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Enjoy.